Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours, and this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Taylor Pleschberger from Strata Biomechanics. Taylor has been an exercise professional for more than six years. His journey started in the traditional education stream in the fitness, in fitness and health, and soon thereafter led him down the rabbit hole of further education into how the body works and what exercise really is. He currently works out of Strata Internal Performance located in Newmarket, Ontario, providing personal training and muscle system consultation, consulting services. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. So how's your latest uh, fishing uh, expedition? Uh, not as successful as I would have liked this past weekend, but got a couple, so didn't get skunked, as they would say. That's good. Yeah. Any big, uh, big trouts, like you told me last week? Uh, two, not big ones, but they fight pretty good and they taste pretty good too, so. That's yeah. awesome. So, uh, what got you into the fitness industry? Yeah, um... I'm in the fitness industry. There must have been something that got me into it for sure. Um, so early on, it was a little bit more selfish in nature. Uh, I was playing sports. Hockey was kind of the main one for me. And as you know, John, I'm kind of a small guy. I'm under six foot, under five foot seven. Uh, it's kind of small for a hockey player. Um, so I thought, well, I got to beef up, got to get some muscle. And so I started working out. 15, 16 years old, uh, got a little stronger, got a little bigger, but nothing special and thought, uh, this isn't enough. So anything I do, I kind of go to the extreme. So I got pretty intense with it, wanted to learn everything I could and took exercise science, uh, which you could in high school and then thought, oh, well, maybe I'll get into this as a career. And that kind of got me started. And then as things went on, I realized Oof, there's a lot of people that, that could benefit from exercise, not just athletes. And athletes were, they were fun, but a little bit boring in that they're trying to perform at their sport. Um, I'd rather help someone with their day-to-day -day life. If they want to do a sport or activity, that's great. But I want to see them do well in life and feel good, so. Uh, I've got some family history of seeing family members not do so well physically and how that affected their quality of life and, and their longevity as well. So that hit close to home. So that kind of got me into that stream of exercise. And um, now I enjoy what I do. Awesome. Uh, in your intro, I mentioned you went down a rabbit hole. What was mm -hmm. that rab What was that rabbit hole? Uh learning about forces and stuff like that. So similar program that you took, the resistance training specialist. Um, I had taken the traditional education streams, fitness and health in uh, post-secondary, and it was good. It got, got me more information, of course, than I would have in a weekend course. But um, I was studying a lot more than just what I was doing in the classroom and a lot more advanced stuff. And I was finding the classroom stuff was, was kind of like, lagging behind and it was a little too too easy so I thought there's got to be more to this and uh, I got introduced to the RTS program and that's when things blew up for me uh, learning about forces moment arms how the how the physics and engineering affects the body which they don't talk about too much in school um, and realize kind of what what exercise really was so that that intrigued me and kind of yeah, like I said, got me down the rabbit hole, and I'm an extremist. Once I start something, I don't stop until uh, I never stop. And you are very good at what you do, let me just say that. Oh, well, I appreciate that, John. I wouldn't be a customer for this long if you weren't. Right, yeah. No, I definitely wouldn't uh, expect you to be either. Um, have you ever felt like quitting? Like quitting? Hmm. Um, you know what? Pretty early on, um, I had I had done so much educational work. 
I thought, oh, I can't start working. I got to keep learning more. I shouldn't be working with anyone until I know a certain amount. And um, it was good that uh, I finally realized sooner rather than later that you just got to get started. You can't, you can never know enough. You're always learning. So um, I just had to get started working. And when I started working, I, I was at a um, traditional commercial gym. And uh, early on, I was like, oof. I don't know if this kind of career path is going to work um, with the way they did their sales process and stuff. It wasn't really what I got into the, into the field for. So um, kind of early on, I was wondering if, Hmm, is this really going to work? Am I going to have to do something different? Can I, can I do this? So that I would say the first time. And then um, I wouldn't say I thought about quitting during this COVID thing, but it kind of like for, couple months on end not really thinking about too much about work I'm like geez what do I do again oh I don't live in the bush only oh right so yeah I would say kind of early on realizing that not knowing that this could be a career or not um I was thinking about that was the only time that I was close to like maybe not continuing with this for sure and uh what was the thing that kept you from quitting um hmm, good question i think probably a couple things the first one being uh the clients that i was working with even though i didn't wasn't working with a ton of clients the couple clients that i was working with i was realizing how rewarding it was and uh how much i enjoyed working with people and uh being involved so that was good um the other thing was uh, realizing that there was some other options that even though I started at a certain facility and there's nothing wrong with commercial gyms, um, but uh, it wasn't for me, um, that there could be other options, which uh, kind of led me to where I am now working at Strata Internal Performance, a new market uh, uh, owned by Brandon Green, which was a mentor of mine that kind of really got me started in the field and helped me along even when I was starting at uh, the commercial gym helped me kind of get started um, as an educator. So that really uh, got me going and um, yeah, kind of led me to see that, that this could be a career. Cool. Um, you've recently, well, I wouldn't say recently, I said maybe what, two years now, you guys have gotten into something called uh, post-active in Post-Activation Potentiation Preparation. Mm -hmm. Short form for PAP for all those people out there listening. What is mm -hmm. post-activation potentiation? Yeah, so it, it's interesting. It's a phenomenon um, in the nervous system uh, that kind of just happens just from us doing things. Um, so if we break down that uh, word salad that you just threw out there, all those words. Um, post is after, active is activated or something's been stimulated. Um, potentiation is the stimulation of something, potentiation. You don't really have to know exactly what it is, but basically an easier definition of it is that um, previous contractions influence future contractions or that how you've used your muscles in the past influences them in the future or what you do with your muscles dictates what they will do in the future. It's, it is, sounds very simple, but um, basically if you do a set of an exercise, say you're doing a, a bench press and the first set doesn't feel so great, but that second set feels pretty good um, or feels smoother, you feel stronger, you've kind of warmed up, people will call it a warm up. Um, that's this phenomenon in your nervous system happening um, just by us doing things. So um, for us at Strata, um, kind of realizing this information and um, looking at some research by a gentleman named Charlie McMillan, who's working on his PhD right now. He's based out of um, Maryland in the U.S., uh, who has been involved in other programs before. I know that uh, that you know of uh, you know of him as well, John, and your, and your involvement in the fitness industry and stuff and with RTS. Um, 
he's done a lot of research on it where just by doing a, you could call it a muscle test, but a, a positional test. Um, the next time you do that test, it could, it could be stronger, have higher quality just by doing the test. So that that's where uh, previous contractions influence future function. Cool. Very, very cool. And it's um, <clears throat> like I said, uh, you've been using this on me for the past, what, two years, two and a half years. Yeah. And probably a little bit earlier than that where we were, we were using it, but we, it was more so we, we didn't have a full system as to how we, how we understand it or how we implement it or how we know it's influencing the body. It's more so for us about how is it knowing that it's happening. It's a phenomenon within the neuromuscular system that's happening and how do we bias it or use it to our advantage to help, help you get stronger and uh, move better and provide a better exercise resistance training service to the client. Yeah. And every time you use it on me, like it's like, I get insane results with the, on a gym floor. Like it's, uh, it's insane. And for a guy in his mid forties to be growing for like somebody in his early, late twenties, early thirties. I mean, it's, I can't, I can't stop talking about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's awesome. And it's, uh, it's interesting in that we've kind of always known that this type of thing happens. It just wasn't maybe utilized in a, in a great way. One example, which it's somewhat hearsay. I don't know anecdotally or for sure if it happened or not. But, uh, one thing was, uh, one of the famous sprinter, Canadian sprinter, well, shunned sprinter now uh, because of his uh, positive doping test. But Ben Johnson, apparently, before his record record 100-meter uh, dash final in, uh, oof, I don't know when that was, 88 uh, at the Olympics, whenever that was, that he did a one-rep max squat 10 minutes before the race, 500 pounds. to Because at the time, they knew that contracting your muscles as close to maximal as possible for a short burst, not to fatigue, increase their force output or their strength and their ability to contract. So um, it's been known for a while, but obviously doing it that way is quite risky and not the best strategy. So for us, it's about how do we how do we apply some of that stuff that's been known and then use the new information that we have to, um, I don't want to say work with the general population because we do work with some athletes and for yourself doing some of your athletic endeavors and some of the stuff that you're preparing for. Um, it can, it can be influenced no matter who the individual is. It just, it's not a smart idea to stick 500 pounds on your back before your race that you've been training four years for. That seems kind of crazy. I don't know what you think about that, John. Yeah. That's not the smartest thing to do. <laughs> yeah. So it's just from too an much it's too much of a shock. Like it's, it's like, you don't know if you're going to pull something. You don't know if you're going to. Yeah. Something could go wrong. So, uh, and often does. So for us, it's about, um, how do we, how do we stay in the exercise world? Cause that's what we're providing and exercise is the body appropriately challenged. How do we create an appropriate challenge for the body that doesn't create fatigue, prepares the body for exercise and helps the body learn and the client get the positive, experience that they're looking for and feel better because that's that's really what we're being hired to do or hopefully that's what we're being hired to do do you see any limitations i'm gonna call it pap for everybody out there so they don't hear the word salad mm -hmm. okay do you, see, do you see any limitations to with pap um i would say yes in terms of um everyone's a little different. So their nervous system and their health and how much stress is on the body, pharmacological drag, like how much medications are on all that stuff influences how their nervous system functions. So this phenomenon, people will be higher responders or lower responders. So some people you do something a few times or a certain exercise where we're trying to stimulate that response and get someone stronger. Someone might, do better doing something only a few times and now it's become a learned strategy and their body's good at it 
and they keep it. Um, keep that learned strategy. Say they have a hard time lifting their arm on one side with good strength. We do something a few times and now it's pretty symmetrical left, right. And we just start exercising things more evenly um, versus someone who might be a little more, I don't want to say frail, but a little more stressed or uh, been on the planet a little longer and maybe hasn't taken care of their body that well. So they, they can only handle so much force at a time. Um, they'll probably need more repetitive doses or if someone stresses out their body a lot, like an athlete and they're always beating themselves up, they're going to need to re-stimulate that a lot more frequently. So I'd say the limitation is the need for more frequent doses or doing the exercise more frequently rather than like doing it only a couple times. Well, we, uh, how do you see that pop differs from traditional training modalities? Um, I would say, so traditional training modalities have definitely evolved quite a bit. Hopefully some of them have evolved in a good way. Some maybe somewhat biased, but the science would back it up quite a bit that maybe aren't ideal. But um, one being like going from static stretching before exercise to dynamic stretching to, oh, no dynamic, just do warm up sets and then stretch after to no stretching at all. Um, so certainly warm up strategies. Basically, the I'll say it out just the one time, but the post-activation potentiation response or phenomenon and us not coining the term, but calling it post-activation potentiation preparation. The idea of the preparation is that we're preparing the body for exercise to get more out of it. It's kind of like before, maybe an analogy is before you go in to write an exam and you're testing out all of your knowledge or your ability to answer questions in that time frame, you kind of do a little, you have little flashcards or you go through a list of quick hints like an hour before the exam or like right before you go in the, in the exam room. That's kind of what this is. The PAP response is that you're kind of getting that heightened response or your body's getting a little bit more prepared and your brain is a little more aware of what you're going to ask it to do. So you can perform better at the time, which means you can, you can, I'll say lift heavier, um, perform the movements better, um, get more out of it. And, that will create better adaptations um, and uh, actually less injury risk. You're more prepared for the exercise. So um, that's kind of where it differs in that we know, I'm sure there's others doing it. Maybe I don't want to say that we're anything special that way. It wouldn't be fair, but we're more so acknowledging that this exists and this is happening all the time and trying to, bias it to our advantage to best service the client and best provide the exercise experience. Whereas other modalities, it might be, okay, we do two to three warm up sets, increasing the weight as we go, but they might be creating fatigue in the client, um, fatiguing during that exercise. So when they do get to their working sets, they might not be able to push as much weight if that's the goal or perform the exercise as well because they've created fatigue. So, the biggest downside to post-activation potentiation or that heightened response or that um, that increased performance response uh, is fatigue. You don't you want to avoid fatigue if you can. Um, it's like with anything, fatigue decreases performance, which is not a bad thing in itself. But if you're trying to prepare for exercise, you don't want to fatigue yourself before you go and try and do it. So um, for us, it's probably our knowledge or our and our respect of the phenomenon and trying to make sure we use it for trying to bias it for, for what it really is, which is more of a preparation technique. Cool. Um, as we get older, like myself, how important is resistance training? Well, John, it's quite important. Um, and it's a tough thing these days. It's better these days, certainly, than it was in the past. People are understanding that they have to be active if they want to live well. And certainly from an insurance perspective, even uh, insurance, life insurance rates and stuff like the insurance adjusters, insurance companies know 
that exercise helps. So a lot of them will cover certain things now um, because they know it's going to save them later on in their business. So, I mean, the proof is in the pudding with a lot of things in terms of like where industries are going in conjunction with the exercise field. But for a lot of people, um, they either think, oh, you go to the gym, you're one of these workout people. Um, there's a bit of a stereotype for people that go to the gym, whereas it doesn't have to be anything crazy. Um, you got to use your muscles in some capacity, and they do need resistance. They do need a challenge to fight against. If they don't, they atrophy, they shrink. You don't lose it, you lose it. It's just the law of bio and biology. Um, at this current time, in terms of biotechnology, we don't have anything that we can just strap on, press a button, and it keeps all our muscle. Um, so, yeah, if you don't use it, decreased bone density, decreased uh, red blood cells, um, decreased oxygen output, you get tired quicker, um, you're weaker, you can't move as well. Um, we do know that now one of the other signs of mortality or risk for, for passing Earlier and earlier in life is walking speed, so you you can't move as fast as well. Um, there's so many factors, and the biggest thing for me, because I've seen it with family members and just day to day with people, is the quality of life. You you can't enjoy life the way you want to do it, and that that's a, a sad thing to see when when it can be done, and it doesn't have to be a big financial commitment necessarily. You don't need crazy equipment. You just got to do some things that are appropriate for your body to help you keep moving. Just like you go to the dentist, take care of your teeth and your gums. We know how important that is now. It's linked to heart health, brain health. Um, your muscle system is the largest organ system in your body. It's connected to your, uh, to your organs, connected to everything. So if you don't take care of them, it's not going to be so good. We've actually been dancing around a question that I've been having on my mind. I know the answer to this, but this brings up a lot of controversy in the fitness industry. And mm -hmm. do you define cardio as resistance training? And if so, why? So short answer is yes. I would consider cardiovascular training resistance training. In the broad scheme, just that, just because what's moving you when you are doing cardio, whether you're on a bike, whether you're on a treadmill, whether you're on a stairmaster, what's moving you is muscles. So, for your muscles to move you, you're made of mass. That is resistance. You are doing a form of resistance training. Um, the only difference is the intensity, the duration the specificity, the intention, what, what you're focusing on is different. Cardio is more of a mindless activity. Certainly when you're on the bike, you can, you can try and think about muscles, but if you're moving at any speed, you can't think calf, glute, calf, glute, hamstring, like not happening. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that answers the question or if you want me to expand on something different. No, that's good. That's good. Okay. So if someone some... wants to challenge me on it, feel free. <laughs> so something like hopping on a treadmill to go for a, for a workout on the gym floor is kind of useless if you're thinking about just doing back. Oh, sorry. I see where you're like in terms of a warm up or to get the body yeah. moving and flowing. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I would say. Some people just like doing that as part of their routine. I have one, one or two clients that do it, um, and that's okay. Uh, if they can tolerate that type of activity, sure. But if they're going to do back exercises after, we better do a specific preparation and get into the back exercises. Excuse me, you can't, can't go from the treadmill right into your workout there, yeah, because um, the neuromuscular system, that, that's not a specific enough stimulus to prepare the body for the, for the specific resistance training you're trying to do. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that treadmill warm up or a bike warm up is, is good enough for 
a resistance training warm up, even for lower body. Cool. Or people will get, if I can say, people will get away with it and have no problems. Um, but in general, it's like someone crossing the road. The odd time, they might. If you don't look both ways, you can cross the street and you might not get hit. But I wouldn't recommend that. So certainly, doing a warm up for this specific exercise is a good idea because you might as well take the risk out of it because if something does happen, you can't take it back. So um, it's like wearing a seatbelt. Usually we don't have issues, but you want it when you want, when you need it. Right. Most of the exactly. time, I'm sure there's certain situations when wearing it might be an issue, but that's not my realm of knowledge. No. Um, with the entire COVID situation, people are actually afraid to go to the gyms, like really afraid to go into the gym, uh -huh. especially older people. Uh -huh. Is there an alternative? Is there, is there an alternative to going to a gym? To For them to get the resistance training that they need. Yep, for sure. Um, there does need to be some creativity <clears throat> and, uh, a few tools doesn't have to be much. Um, a few bands, maybe maybe a couple weights. Don't have to have them. You can certainly improvise with um, water jugs. Vary how much water is in it for different amounts of resistance. Um, soup cans, sometimes things like that. Um, bags, good handled bags you can fill up with water bottles, stuff like that. So there there's certainly alternatives for sure. I have I had a handful of clients that I was uh, working with over the over the time we were closed to be able to to continue to exercise as best they could so there's certainly options cool I noticed that uh, up in your cottage you were actually doing some uh, cottage exercises with the uh, the sun chair which was actually really cool on your Instagram account just really oh yeah on the strat account yeah yeah. yeah, Brandon was asking me if I was working out. So I said, yeah, I'm doing some band stuff on the dock and using the chairs. Uh, those chairs are probably ooh, 60, 70. They're pretty heavy. So they work pretty good for some shoulder presses and for some uh, squats and stuff. So it was, uh, yeah, had to improvise, do that kind of stuff, and it uh, works out okay. Yeah, it was really cool. It was really cool to see it. Awesome. Well, thanks. So in, in the intro, I also know, I also mentioned that you do muscle system consulting. What mm -hmm. is that? That's mainly the work that uh, I do with yourself, which is you could define it more as very specific personal training where there's a lot more detail and a lot more assessing um, involved still under the scope of practice of a personal trainer or someone who, who provides an exercise service. It's just a lot more detailed where we're looking at the body's function from left to right, um, applying different types of modes of contractions, which you're familiar with. So instead of just doing traditional repetitions, lifting up and down, um, bending, you know, maybe you can see this, bending your arm, lengthening, um, we're looking at all the ways that skeletal muscles, so the muscles that attach to the skeleton, because we got different types of muscle, cardiac muscle, smooth muscle. Um, we're specifically working with directly with uh, skeletal muscles. Um, we're trying to be as specific to the individual as possible and trying to make them as symmetrical as possible by providing specific dosages of exercise where the body needs it. And we're kind of re-educating the system to kind of work with it to, to function as evenly front to back, side to side, top to bottom uh, for joint integrity, uh, strength, performance, so that <clears throat> when you're on the gym floor doing exercises in a more traditional setting um, or you're just doing your day-to-day -day activities, your muscles work better. And also, uh, it kind of allows us to collect information that we wouldn't be able to collect in a traditional personal training scenario. We've got a couple of force measurement devices to see how strong really are you from left to right. And also, 
um, some unique assessment tools that allow us to get more detailed information so that our resistance training or personal training program or sessions are that much more specific to the individual. You said something interesting about symmetry. Um, mm-hmm. I know I, I've worked with a couple of clients that have like uh, skeletal issues where, you know, you mm-hmm. know, you noticed it with me, like one shoulder's higher than the other. And they mm-hmm. all say the same thing that I've heard from them. It, I can't fix it. I can't fix it. What would you say with that? statement i can't fix you uh i've always been like this and it's not fixable right um so i guess the first thing i would say just as a disclaimer just so that i'm covering all the bases is that everyone's different so everyone that has a skeletal issue um or perceived issue certainly is different so um if someone had a hip oh yep I'm not saying about something like scoliosis or okay. busted hip or something like that. Just, you know, more it, like a postural difference yeah, that it more seems like, like one's posture. higher than the other. Yeah. Like a postural, like a normal postural yep. difference where one okay. shoulder is higher than the other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. So in some cases, um, even, even with that, some of them, it's hard to say, like in terms of our scope of practice as personal trainers, fitness people, um, to stay in our lane or our wheelhouse, we kind of look at the outside view, try and get as much information to know what's going on in the inside as possible. Um, with that being said, I've certainly worked with a lot of people who have said certain things or said, oh, my chiropractor told me that my hips are off. I can feel that my hips are off. I wear a shoe, a heel lift in one shoe. Um, my shoulder's always lower on one side than the other. Um, Certainly over time, our skeleton does remodel roughly about 10% a year. It's uh, called Wolf's Law. That's kind of the law of uh, bone remodeling. Um, So every 10 years, we kind of get a new skeleton roughly. It's kind of crazy. So as people get older and they say they're shrinking or they're getting shorter, technically true often. But, I mean, what we'll see often with our muscle system assessment is that we'll do some manual landmarks on the body to see, okay, is one part of the pelvis really higher than the other? And if it is, and that makes one leg look longer than the other, well, is there a muscular component? Is one side not contracting as hard? Not so much that you tighten the one side and then it's even, but is there an imbalance of force um, from one side to the other or within the whole skeletal muscle system that, could be perpetuating it or exaggerating the difference from left to right. And if we strengthen where, where the body needs strength and re- needs re-education, does that become more even? I can give you an example for myself, bad hockey trauma, broken, two broken ribs, uh, lung stuff, like just beating the crap. Um, for a while, my rib would pop out when I would do back exercise and I'd have to go up against the wall and snap it back in not fun. Um, Once I got the muscles contracting better, it certainly doesn't take away the injury or the body's issue, but it's definitely managed a lot better. And my shoulders are a lot more even than they were. They're not perfect. And when the body stressor gets beat up, beaten up, it becomes more obvious, but a lot of these issues can be managed or I don't necessarily like to use the word fix just because the body's a dynamic system. It, it likes, it doesn't like change. So um, the nervous system doesn't like to swing from one end to the other of positioning and, and stuff. So uh, it certainly can be managed and operate a lot better. Um, most of the time, certainly there's a few cases where someone does have structural things going on that are beyond our control or that we don't know about at the time and they're improving in certain ways, but something's just not changing. I've had that before. And I said, you know what, really should go to the doctor, get, get an x-ray of that, of that hip. It just doesn't seem right. And they had advanced osteoarthritis and we're getting a hip replacement in a few months. They were on the fast track for it because it was already eroded away, but their muscles were functioning good enough and we were exercising enough and properly that 
they were doing good enough that it didn't seem apparent until it was like, you know, there's nothing else really that we can do to take away kind of this weird ache thing that you're getting in this odd limp once in a while that you have. There's nothing in my scope of practice I'm seeing. You should get that checked. So I think in one way for us, it's certainly we can make a lot of changes, positive changes for clients with those type of things. But at the other end of the spectrum is knowing our where we fit in the health slash paramedical field and know when, when to refer out or when to say, you know what, you're doing good, but certain things aren't changing. Or if the client is saying, you know, something's not changing here, trying to figure that out and see if, see if there is something more going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why I asked that is because uh, there's a, there's also psychological aspect to how mm-hmm. a person sees themselves. And if they see themselves like, like with one shoulder off and one shoulder mm-hmm down and they feel uh, they, the doctor tells them, you know, you got to wear a heel. It brings the person's psyche down so that what you guys do at Strata Internal Performance is you're not just fixing the body. You're actually fixing the mentality of the person as well. Would you agree with that statement? Um, I, I, I know where you're, I, I think I know where you're coming from. Um, what I, I would say, like the tough thing with the word fix for, for me to say is you, you're a client of mine. So you, you can say whatever you like in terms of your, your experience. Um, for me, I, I don't like to use the word fix just because there's so much going on and it's hard to know all the variables. But certainly when we're working with a client, for, I can speak for myself and say that when a client comes in and they're having issues, just from a human perspective, my goal is not to beat them down and say, you know what, geez, Tom, you're, you're really out of shape. Like you slouch, you, you got one shoulder higher than the other. Like you look like Quasimodo, like what the heck's wrong with you? Like that's not going to help anyone. So with someone coming in, who's, who's, who I know has a lot of issues going on or or might not have a ton of issues, but is expressing it that it's really affecting them and it really bothers them. Um, sometimes I'll, well, I, I'll, I'll be quite, on, I'll be honest with them and try and find the things that their body does well and tell them, you know what, these things you do well, these are things that we can build upon and use that to strengthen the areas that your body has a hard time with and uh, try and present it more as an opportunity for improvement rather than. Um, stressing them out and also tell them that no matter what age um, the body can make changes and improvements can happen. So try and be as positive as possible, but um, certainly, certainly see where you're coming from with the psychological component. Cause certainly see that all the time. Um, someone who's emotionally down certainly changes their posture. So, and if that's done for a long time, that can over time modify how they move and how their body is. So uh, I, I would agree with you on that for sure. Yeah. I, I have a tendency of using that word fixed. Uh, when, when And actually, I understand what, where you're coming from with it. Like, it's more so for the audience just in case, because I know what you mean. Um, yeah. So, these yeah. are like little corrections that we actually implement on the body for a short term, which, and we try to implement them for a longer, long-term process, but it, it's not, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not an actual fix. It's more of a, like a correction more than a fix. A fix is right. completely permanent, right? Yep. And I guess what can build upon the conversation of post-activation potentiation that's a specific phenomenon of where um, previous contractile history influences future contractions. So previous contractile history just means how you've used your muscles in the past influences how your body functions in the future. We have the concept of short-term potentiation and long-term potentiation. And that's the same for learning um, any kind of skill, whether it's cognitive or physical or things that require physical and cognitive components. Um, So when you're learning something new, um, like a new math equation in school, you do it Monday to Friday. By the Friday, you kind of got a good handle on it. You've had five days of lessons and practice in class. 
you get the weekend off. If you don't do homework Monday, it's kind of like, mm, not super fresh. But by Tuesday or Wednesday or by the end of that day, you kind of got a bit of a handle on it. Um, you kind of uh, The other part is you do it all semester. You got a really good handle on it. You take the summer off. You come back. You start grade 10 after finishing grade 9. You can kind of get right back into the first couple weeks of review what you did from grade 9. It kind of comes back quick because – the longer you do something, the more that becomes ingrained in your nervous system and the more that becomes a learned response or a learned event or a learned skill. Uh, so the less times you've done something, the, the less your body keeps it. So kind of like someone who who's grew up driving manual car, standard, and then you don't drive it for a long time. You go to Europe, you haven't driven standard in 10, 20 years. You can takes a little bit, but you pick it right back up. It's not like it's not like you're starting it for the first time again. I hope that helps as an example. Yeah, that's a that's a really good example. That's a very okay. good example. Um, you've also mentioned something about uh, the idea of motor abundance. Can oh, you, can you explain yep. that? Because that's actually a quite new concept for myself as well. Okay. Um, you know what, based on your your exercise knowledge and your background in the field, I think it's probably just a different way of describing it probably because once I start saying it, you'll, you'll understand where I'm coming from with it. So why, why I was mentioning that is um, basically in the past talking about motor patterns or movement patterns like getting good at a squat, you got to keep squatting to get the skill of the squat. Um, and doing certain exercises like the big three, squat, bench, deadlift, that kind of stuff. Um, and they're very, not simple, but three movements that kind of work your whole body. And it's like people would call, would maybe say that I'm more biased towards doing things in isolation oftentimes. And that would be fair oftentimes, but I see no, no issue with doing a squat and deadlift. But with those exercises, as you know, based on the forces and based on the joints and uh, the muscular anatomy, certain things are going to get challenged and other things aren't going to get enough stimulation. So um, with isolated exercises or looking at specific specific motions and joints, you're, you're going to be able to max those out or challenge them the most uh, appropriately and to the maximal ability. And it doesn't mean that you can't do those other exercises as well. Uh, the, where that fits in with motor abundance is that the more motions you can do with control or that your body has good control over and is strong in, the better the body functions. And what I mean by that is your shoulder, for example, has three degrees of freedom, uh, which just means that it can go front to back, side to side, up and down and rotate. It can do, it can move in all planes of motion. So if you're always training your shoulders, say, doing front raises, and technically that works most of the shoulder muscles, but you're just doing that overhead stuff or you're doing shoulder presses, something like that, um, you're working your shoulders, but you're never training external rotation, like rotating your forearm outwards or doing resistance, pulling your lower arm inwards, doing internal rotation. I know it might be hard to see. Um, the idea of motor abundance is any way your body can move in space, the stronger you are at those all those skills, or the more things, the more motions your body can do, the better your neuromuscular system functions. The more the more you can thrive in your environment, and that's why, John, for for examples for you. So if we're working on foot exercises, like how well your big toe flexes, for example. Um, most people don't do that. They might do some calf raises, but the stronger you are at every single uh, function, so your ability to flex your finger, your ability to flex your fingers together, that all affects your grip when you go to grab to do a deadlift or something. So the better you are at these individual skills, the more motor abundance you have. So our muscles are, are biomotors, and the more abundance of skill you have so it's it's a more of a neurological concept or a, um, a theory of motor abundance so it's that the better you can move your body in space the more the more skill you have at moving in all directions it's like 
someone who can uh, parallel park to the right side but never does it on the left because looking over their left shoulder, it's kind of awkward, not as comfortable, so they just avoid it. It's like, okay, well, someone's not as good at shoulder pressing, so they avoid it. They only do front raises. It's like, well, if you miss out and you don't train that skill, you're going to miss out on certain things like putting things in the top shelf and stuff. Those You're not going to be as good at other activities. So does that kind of make sense? I, I think that yeah. sounds probably similar yeah. to something that you've thought of. Yeah. Yeah, it does. So, uh, so you actually mentioned the term, and I want to touch up on this. Uh, you mentioned isolation. Mm -hmm. Can you isolate a muscle in the body? Um, not in the body. You can cut it out, stick it to electrodes in a lab, and run a current through it. But not <laughs> intact. Yeah, that'll be not isolation. not in. Yeah. Not intact in a human body, no. Um, and that's just based on that there's so many, mu there's always more than one muscle that crosses a joint axis. Um, so if you bend your elbow, for example, call it a bicep curl. Some people will call that bicep curl. Certainly the bicep's working, but there's no way to separate it neurologically or mechanically. Um, You've got other muscles like the brachialis, brachial radialis. Depending on your radial ulnar or forearm position, you've got flexor carpi ulnaris, flexor carpi. Um, you've got so many muscles is basically what I'm trying to say with that. Um, so there's really no way to isolate one muscle in the body. So um, it's it's a tough topic because it's it's a sim it's a straightforward answer and if someone's not used to that concept or doesn't i don't want to say doesn't believe it but yeah some people they don't want to believe it um it's unfortunate because someone trying to train just their lower lats by doing a certain way of doing a pull down in a rotation it's like you may feel that or even lower abs um, neurologically, there's some different nerve innervation. You may feel that stimulation more in that region, and that's that's fair. You can't can't deny that sensation, but it doesn't mean that the muscles aren't pulling towards the center of the muscle. So there's tons of examples. It's it, it's just uh, just a reality, biological reality. Yeah. So. I've been trying mm -hmm. to explain that to some trainers too, and they just don't get that concept. They're like, "Oh no, a preacher curl does uh, isolate the bicep." Oh, the peak, like, yeah, right. Or like, preacher right, curl right. work the peak. Yeah, uh, curls, incline curls with your arms behind you works the uh, the long head of the bicep, or the lengthened position works the fullness of the bus bicep. It's, yeah, it's tough if they understood just some basic muscular anatomy, it would be clear. And for me, it's, a, it's oftentimes a lack of education, and that's why I can never stop learning. Uh, I'm kind of a baby still in this industry, but this whole industry in general is a baby. It hasn't really been around for that long. The modern fitness industry has been around since maybe the 90s. In terms of like personal training being more of a popular thing, um, it was around before that for sure. It was a lot more step classes, fitness classes that way. So um, the field in general is fairly new. So um, things will evolve like they always do. I'm sure you, your, your knowledge of computers and computer science and all the tech stuff, um, one year to the next, how much, how, how much technology advances. It's, that stuff's unbelievable to me. So yeah. the fitness industry should evolve. Yeah. There is a big misconception out there when it comes to muscular, uh, skeletal muscle. Yes. What is it? The, a big misconception of skeletal muscle. That, okay. Let me rephrase that. Yep. There's a big misconception of skeletal muscle that you can confuse it. Sorry. I forgot that part. That you can confuse it. That you can confuse yeah. it with other types of muscle. Oh, the, no. uh, something that a skeletal muscle can do? 
you know how they say, okay, you're, you're gonna go and shock the body. You're gonna confuse. You gotta. You gotta. Oh, sorry, the muscle confusion. Yeah. Mus training. Muscle confusion. Training. Oh, okay. Right. Yes, I see where you're, I see what you're saying. What's your concept mm -hmm. on that? Your thoughts. Um. Well, I. To give the benefit of the doubt, I can see where people are coming from, maybe, by calling it that, or by training a certain way. Um, if their thoughts on it, or their approach is, we're confusing the muscles to shock them, to get them stronger, to get them to change, to improve. If by that they're saying they're doing something the muscles aren't used to experiencing, um, certainly the body's going to have to adapt and change. But if it's not done appropriately, that's when there's risk for injury. Um, and the concept of a muscle being confused, if it was really confused, it wouldn't be able to function. So if by doing 10 burpees right into 10 pull-ups was a circuit as part of a muscle confusion training workout, um, you wouldn't be able to do those activities because if the muscle was confused, it wouldn't be able to perform those things. So the words are maybe not accurate it i think it's fair to say but certainly you could say it's my opinion as well so if it's just a vernacular issue on my part for that then okay if they mean something else but technically muscles can't be confused um unless they have a neurological disease then yeah muscles get confused because they can't function properly because they're not getting good signals but that's a different thing yeah, I, I remember someone saying that uh, there should actually be a license to be using some terminologies as uh, personal trainers because we can mm -hmm. we can actually confuse the client by what we say to them. Absolutely, and uh, by saying certain things, we can influence clients. Um, yeah, Our, a big thing I try and I don't say every like wake up, start the day before work, and say okay, you got to do this is what you do or whatnot, but I will say oftentimes to myself just to review, stay in your lane, stay in your scope of practice. Um, one, it's more professional to, to provide advice or service of what you're actually being paid to do instead of getting out of your lane and saying, oh, don't go see that chiropractor, chiropractic suey or whatever, when that's not in our scope of practice to say, regardless of whatever our opinions or sciences on a certain modality or certain medical practice. Um, we can have a conversation about it, but yeah, certainly um, you're right in that we can certainly influence people. And I like how you said that um, we have to stay in our lane. We have to stay focused on what we do. And I personally don't like, um, Shitting in another man's dinner plate, mm -hmm. to say it in, yep. to say it in one way, um, mm -hmm. it just because I don't understand the full concept behind chiropractic uh, practice doesn't mm -hmm. mean that it makes it wrong. There may be a place for it. Right. Yeah. Fair enough. For sure. And um, yeah. And and if the client's seeing benefit, whatever they define as benefit. If it's improving their quality of life, even if not, not talking about chiropractic now, but any modality, whatever it is, or anything they do, whether they do meditation or they do positive thought practice, mantras, anything like that, if they're getting any benefit from that, regardless of what the sciences or my opinion on it, if they feel they're getting benefit, then they're getting benefit. Like you said, the mind's a very powerful thing. If they're telling themselves they're getting a benefit and it's a positive thing, who am I to say otherwise? Yeah, I'm the so I'm the, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, I think we've covered this this question multiple, multiple times. Just like a little bit mm -hmm. of a sum up. How would mm -hmm. you specifically improve skeletal muscle function? How would I improve skeletal muscle function? Yeah. In a one-sentence version, I would say appropriately dosed specific resistance training administered in 
observed by a competent fitness professional, specifically exercise professional. This is what I would say. Um, it's got to be one thing that I would say for resistance uh, for skeletal muscle is that it has to be intense enough. So people that do the same, go to the gym, do the same routine all the time, or, or even at home, they do their same routine. They walk three kilometers a day. That's their routine. They've always done it. They're going to be able to maintain some, some function and they're doing way better than if they didn't do anything at all. But if you're trying to optimize skeletal muscle function, you got to challenge it, especially over time. Um, otherwise, if it's not intense enough, it's not going to create the changes. And now intense doesn't mean you got to do your max weight, lift crazy amounts of weight. It's for your specific body. But I would say you got to dose it uh, the right amount and you've got to do it intense enough. So intensity, dose, duration, three of the keys, I would say, that people often don't look at. They do three sets of 10 for each exercise because that's just what they do. It's like, well, if three sets of eight or three sets of six got you the same result, but you didn't take that extra wear and tear or that extra soreness or stress on your body, why are you doing the 10? And that's where the muscle system assessment approach comes in where we can do our, um, our diagnostic testing and our qualitative assessments of your muscle quality and strength from left to right to see, did you get the benefit from those six reps? And if you did, great. It's like if someone's trying to get a tan, well, I'm just going to lay in the sun for an hour. That should be good enough. They come back in looking like a cherry tomato when if they did 15 minutes, they could have got a little golden, got that positive adaptation they were looking for, but didn't create any trauma or damage. And then if they did that every day or every other day for a week, oh, now they got a bit of a tan. They look pretty good. They got what they wanted and they didn't sacrifice their health in the process. Cool. So um, I always ask these last questions to all my guests that, come, that have come on my show. Um, with the increase in people suffering from depression from the lockdown, what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Oh, geez. Gosh. I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that in any capacity. I guess I'll stay on the exercise training because that's kind of what I do. Um, I would say we know how much how big of a link there is between exercise and mental health and mental well-being that if you exercise, whatever that is, you feel better. Um, as long as you're not hurting because you're doing crazy exercise and beating your body up. But yeah, do something. Um, ideally, from a health perspective overall, some type of resistance training. A lot of people find it boring. That's unfortunate. Um, there's a lot of things I find boring, but I still do, like brushing my teeth. I know I got to do it. So got to find a way to to do exercise in some capacity because certainly we know empirically scientifically there's lots of evidence that um, there's positive benefit benefits hormonally neurochemically uh, from from exercise on uh, on that and that's something we can do now you don't need a gym necessarily cool where do you see yourself in five years I'll be 33. Oh, I'll be in my 30s. Jeez. Um, uh, where do I see myself? 30s are good years. Don't knock them. No, no, no. I'm excited. I'm. I. I can't complain. Um, I see myself continuing with the type of work that I do. Uh, I enjoy what I do. I. I don't want to say I'm content. Like I. I am content with what I do. Certainly. You got to keep moving forward just even to maintain. That's just how things work. Um, I want to keep doing what I'm doing, keep working with the clients that I enjoy working with and um, making this time off with the COVID certainly made me realize the value of time off, one, for personal well-being and enjoyment, and two, my quality of my work, that I'm more clear mentally, um, I enjoy working with people more. I'm not going through the motions uh, or having to fight to stay in it because um, that's not fair to the client. Um, so I would say the value of time off, seeing myself five years from now, having a good work-life balance, I would say, um, continuing with what I'm currently doing. That's cool. And having my own boat fishing a lot. 
and doing other things. That's cool. Uh, if you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself when you were 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? Don't overanalyze because I like to analyze things too much sometimes. I'll review something 10 times before I do it. Um, I would tell myself just try just try stuff. Don't overanalyze it and, and paralysis by analysis. Just get into it. Try new experiences. Just do it because um, that's what I've learned, uh, things that I've learned the most. So things that were maybe I was nervous to do or hesitated or thought, eh, not worth trying that. Um, just kind of taking taking a step forward and just doing it. Um, I, I can't complain about my journey. Um, I've been very fortunate. So, um, But things maybe would have been accelerated or might have had some different opportunities to move quicker or try different things if I, if I just jumped in and didn't overthink things. That's what I would say. So you definitely would have changed something. Yes. I would have started working with clients sooner. I delayed that because I thought, oh, no, no, I got to learn more. I got to learn more. And I should have just started working with clients early, like started working earlier. Um, now, I mean, I'm talking maybe six months earlier, but six months is a lot when you first get started. Something like that. More so just getting things going, not delay. That's cool. Uh, what keeps you up at night? I'll be quite honest, not much. Um, I, I am pretty good at shutting things off, um, but I am an extremist, so when I'm focusing on something, like I am right now with summer fishing most weekends at the cottage, doing, doing stuff like that, the odd time, thinking about something I did maybe was I really running at a certain depth I thought I was? Do I have to adjust my line counter? That kind of stuff, maybe right now, but usually very not too much stuff. Um, maybe right now thinking about what's going to happen this fall when kids go back to school, things, people are back to regular work. Um, people are not, are done their typical summer vacations. Are we going to see a spike in COVID numbers? Um, or are, are we going to see a change in how things are opening? Um, will a vaccine be rolled out that is fairly efficient and works fairly well? Is it not? Um, maybe that, the uncertainty of that a little bit. So like, am I going to be able to see clients like yourself in person in September, October? I hope so. November. Maybe that. I wouldn't say it keeps me up at night, but that's maybe what I've been thinking about if I've been thinking about anything. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, we're not going to touch the COVID stuff or the vaccine stuff. We're just going to stay in the exercise stuff. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. We can go into another rabbit hole here. Yep. yep. Uh, and I guess what, what I would say more so is how the, how the society responds to certain things is what I should say and how that can influence my ability to work. Maybe that certainly my livelihood and stuff uh, is something that I think about in this situation. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, where can people find more about you? Well, probably the best places our website, stratainternalperformance.com or our Instagram, which I see on the bottom of the screen is pretty fancy. Uh, so on Instagram at Strata Internal Performance, I don't have social channels really myself. I probably have one still active, but I haven't logged in in a long time. I think social media is great. I probably should be using it. It's just something I don't do myself. I don't really think about it. Um, but yeah, probably our, our social media uh, for Strata is probably... Probably the best is what I would, is what I got. That's all I got for you. It is pretty good, actually. I have to admit. Okay. Good. Uh, any final thoughts? 
Um, no, I don't. I don't have any specific thoughts. Um, it's been good to express some of these things. You know, it's it's important to be able to communicate your your thoughts. So it's a good avenue to 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 do that. And you ask some good questions. So I appreciate the opportunity. And I look forward to seeing you tomorrow at six thirty. Yeah, Taylor. I really appreciate for everything that you do for me personally and uh, for my family because I, I refer all my family to you whenever they decide to get off their lazy butts. But uh, without you, I'd be broken, completely and utterly broken. So thank you from a personal standpoint. Thank you from a professional standpoint. I appreciate you and I appreciate Strata. I appreciate Brandon. Thank you. Well, I appreciate the kind words, and uh, yeah, thank you for being a good client, and I'm glad that I can uh, provide something positive for you. Cool. And hard times are just a test, uh, and you need to know that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before, and you don't need to go through it, through it alone. Always know that. You are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or a good night, wherever you may be in this crazy world.